Assalamualaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope. Or would you sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life? Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Now, today's guest is Dr. Kara Shade. Uh, she is a relationship educator, uh, came on my radar on social media, and when I started to read her bio and I saw that she was a, a certified family life educator, I was like, okay, I don't <laughs> see many of those uh, come through. Uh, I used to have my certification, um, but I did not renew it. And when I reached out to NCFR to say, hey, let me renew, they said, you have to take a test. And I said, oh, I'm good. So, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that won't happen. Um, but I want to have her on because she does, as an educator, she is doing what I, I always talk about is monetizing your talents. And she is a uh, relationship expert, coach does these workshops and trainings uh, with couples. And I wanted to speak to her about how does she monetize uh, her talents, her skill sets. So for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Dr. Kara Shea? Sure. Thank you for the uh, invitation and the introduction. Uh, you hit a lot of the high points already. Uh, Dr. Kara Shade, I'm in Allen, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. Uh, most of my work the last few years has really been focused on engaged couples and doing premarital workshops and private coaching with couples ready to make that transition to marriage, trying to figure out what to expect, what's going to change, what do we need to know. Um, so that's probably 90% of the folks I've worked with have really been in that uh, transition to marriage. Uh, I focus a lot on transitions generally, though. I find that's kind of the period when couples reach out and they're looking for resources, they're looking for coaching and skills is, hey, we're getting ready. Do we want to have a baby or we got a baby on the way? So there's this big transition to parenthood, uh, moving in together, all these, you know, combining finances, all these kind of big transitions and changes are often great periods for relationship education and kind of getting a, a third party to help you facilitate some conversations and help you along. So that's how that piece of the business uh, kind of started for me. And then I've since taken it kind of in a fresh new direction here earlier this year. And we can talk about that more later, but I'm married. Uh, we're coming up on eight years of marriage. We've got two kids, uh, an almost five-year-old, and he just turned one this summer. So we got our hands full during the pandemic here with uh, two little ones at home, but uh, that's it in a nutshell. So. All right. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you'll be doing you were growing up and what drew you to relationship education? Uh, not this. I didn't even know this existed till, uh, till we were getting married. So probably when I was a kid, I thought I was going to be the first woman to play major league baseball or I was going to be a pediatrician until I realized I had to dissect a cadaver in medical school. And then I kind of did a, an about face on that and decided I needed a new career path. So, uh, so yeah, that's, totally different. I guess I knew um, I was a big sports fanatic growing up. I was a competitive athlete up, up until I went to college. I coached the guys club baseball team in college. And 
So sports was always a big part of my life. And then I think that thread of helping people, that pediatrician instinct as a kid, uh, wanting to work with families and work with kids was sort of always there. Uh, but I did not know where to harness it and where to put it at that point. Uh, certainly didn't know this field existed outside of therapy. Um, so the rest kind of came by some really strange coincidences along the way. And I'm happy to walk you through it if you want. I, I just, I find it interesting because, you know, you can go to driver's ed, Mm -hmm. uh, learn how to drive. Most every profession requires you to get some sort of training mm -hmm. to do the job, but anybody can wake up and get married, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's no requirement to like, oh, go through this, you know, two week course or whatever. Right. And, you know, people go in and people have their own sort of expectations and own personal experiences. And then they bring in whatever they bring in from the home. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's uh, interesting, I guess, when, yeah. when people yeah. say, hey, let's do this thing. And you have a lot of people who they spend a lot of time and money in the wedding, but don't think about what life is going to look like past right the honeymoon right yep yeah no problem spending a thousand dollars on a dj or on the flowers or on a lot of those things and that was a big barrier when i first started paid workshops because i'd been in the nonprofit realm before that and we had government funding to provide free workshops to tanf populations low-income populations that were higher risk but then when I split off on my own and I wanted to do it for a fee and to make a living at it that way and have the flexibility to kind of create my own programs, um, you had to convince couples at what is usually one of the happiest points in their relationship that they need to invest in health. And they're like, but we're so happy. We're so in love. And, you know, everything's kind of that rainbows and butterflies. But you also get this contingent of people that are scared. A lot of people. Um, it's you know, my parents are divorced. How do I know this is the right person? Or, you know, we haven't been together that long. How do I know this is the right person? Or this is going to be a big change and a big transition. How do we know, you know, we've, we've been dating and it's been good, but marriage is a different thing. Like, what's that going to be like for us? So some people are motivated by officiants or by family members to go do the premarital stuff. They had those people in their lives saying, hey, this is a good time for this. This is important. It doesn't mean there's a big problem. It just means, hey, get the information, get some skills, get some tools. So you made a great point, and I've had couples liken it to professional development for love. And it's essentially that we'll pay, we'll go take an Excel class, we'll go pay to do a training for work, we'll pay to go, you know, learn how to do basket weaving if that's our hobby. But we don't uh, as readily think to invest in our relationship, especially if it's going well. It's just, well, it's going fine. Why would we spend money and time on that? Uh, the problem, as uh, you probably know, is a lot of couples don't seek help for marital problems till they're six years into marriage. And about half of divorces happen by seven years into marriage. So we kind of look at that and say, wow, people wait a really long time, accumulate a lot, a lot of issues. These rifts get wider and wider. 
And then by the time they seek help, a lot of times somebody's already got their foot out the door. Um, and then it's really hard at that point to say, oh, I'll give it two or three sessions. And let's, you know, if we can't turn it around, then that's that. Um, so the advantage of working with couples preventively, proactively early on is you kind of normalize just having an outside person who can help with the relationship. I'm not a therapist. I don't deal in that realm. It's purely educational. But then sometimes couples will come back two or three years later and they'll describe what's going on and they will need therapy. And then I can make a referral for them or I can kind of, you know, direct them somewhere. And then there's an established rapport and there's kind of a comfort level with it that I think makes it easier for people to get help sooner and get help more readily later than they would if they've just never gotten comfortable doing a premarital experience and talking about their relationship and working through issues before. So you are the founder of Grounded and Good. You mentioned how you were, you came out of nonprofit mm -hmm. uh, where you were doing this type of work. What made you decide to go out on your own? So a few different things. I Every job I'd ever had in all different industries, I was an event planning or operations person. So starting in college, I was running you know, right hand to the director running summer youth programs for thousands of kids for three summers. And then I go into helping teacher conferences, AP conferences, and I'm planning those for hundreds of teachers in the summers. And I'm running building and doing classroom scheduling for university. And I'm you know, learning websites, I'm learning the finance side, I'm doing donor events, I'm doing letterman's associations. So all these different departments in the university and kind of all these different areas I started to learn all converged on, okay, you're pretty good at like strategy and programs and logistics, your details, your planning, okay, all that stuff. There's a thread here, even though the types of programs and events are different. Um, so when my husband and I were engaged, he wanted to do a premarital class. And I had the reaction most of my couples have of like, but why? We, we're not struggling. We don't have a problem. Why would we need this? And I was almost offended. And uh, he just kind of said, hey, it would just make me feel better. And his parents are divorced. And it was just something that gave him a little more comfort with it. And I said, all right, all right, I'm open to it. Let's, let's give it a shot. So in addition to what we did premaritally through our officiant, we also did a class at this nonprofit. And we did the one day class and halfway through the class, I walk up to the facilitator and I said, how do you get your job? And he just looked at me like, what? And I said, no, really, like I studied psychology and corporate communication. Yeah, so it's the communication stuff. And then I did a master's in dispute resolutions. So we got conflict, communication, psychology. And then you're putting it in this relationship framework. This is cool. Like, this is really cool stuff. How do you get to teach? And I had never taught before. I had never been a teacher by any, you know, definition. Um, but I said, wow, that would be kind of cool. And I wonder if I could. So funny thing is I kind of reach out to the people at that nonprofit and took a while to get a hold of somebody. I kind of just kept checking and kept calling and finally got uh, the COO on the phone one day and we talked almost an hour on my lunch break. And he said, we actually have a, a position open, not just to teach, you know, contract teaching the workshops, but like to actually come be a coordinator for our programs. 
And I was like, oh, this is like scary. We're about to get married. We're going through some changes anyway. I hadn't been looking for a new career. I hadn't been, you know, whatever. And um, I said, you know, I think there's something interesting here to me and talked to my husband about it. And we came back from our honeymoon and the next, I think it was like the next week or later that month, I started the new job. And um, so I don't know, it was just a culmination of a lot of experiences that ultimately made me want to start my own. I kind of I was there about a year and a half at the nonprofit. I got to teach engaged couples workshops. I got to run them. I got to see grant sides of it and funding that way and kind of still wanted the private funding option. The grant stuff made me a little more uneasy as a main revenue stream. That was, I like diversification, which I know you talk about a lot on here, kind of multiple revenue streams and having options. Um, So I started to get the wheels turning And I said to my husband, if I'm going to set out on my own, I think I need a PhD in this. And he was like, really? And I said, yeah. And I said, you know, I think we're going to have, we'd been talking about kids in the near future and stuff too. And I said, maybe I'll, while we're doing the kid stage, the the young kids stage, maybe I go back and get my PhD and kind of do both and start this business. And I was saying it out loud, it's crazy because it did become crazy real quick trying to juggle all those things. But um, but yeah, so so I kind of decided to to step out and wanted to kind of have direction that I could set the direction, I could make my own mistakes, I could try it my own way. But a lot of therapists are in private practice. There are not a lot of relationship educators in private practice. Most are either therapists could do the education or they're in a nonprofit setting or they're getting the grant funding, but very few are kind of on this fee-based structure with couples from an educational standpoint, from what I found. So it was then just this big challenge of you have a nut to crack here because there is not a template for this. There is not, you know, a lot of a lot of people to copy here on what are they doing, what are they charging, what is the market for this, how do you advertise it? Um, so it was it was a tough road to hoe and it's still kind of an evolution on just trying what works, throwing the spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. But uh, that's been part of the fun in it too. When stuff does work, sometimes there's a big reward in that too. So So how did you decide on a doctorate in family studies versus another degree that could lead toward either that counseling route Mm -hmm. or something where, as you mentioned earlier, some people are licensed therapists who Mm -hmm. do that and the educational piece. Mm -hmm. So, so if we back up one step, so when I graduated undergrad, I was working at SMU. I was in their athletics department, running programs, donor events, that kind of stuff. And um, my entry-level salary probably wasn't you know, too thrilling for most people. But when it one advantage was that I could get tuition benefits when I was there. So I said, okay, I'm I'm gonna at least leverage that. And I decided to get my master's and ended up the program I chose. I I narrowed it down and really it was either going to be counseling. And I had just decided I wasn't cut out to be a counselor. I have the utmost respect for therapists and counselors. Absolutely. I don't think I can do it. Um, because I would have a lot of trouble leaving that stuff at the office. Some of those deeper, harder kind of challenges you have to work through with people. 
I would just, I would internalize too much of it and it would be hard for me to create distance and walk away from it. So I just, I kind of knew that that wasn't a fit, but I didn't know what else was. And then I discovered a program called Dispute Resolution. And I was like, okay, so like conflict, managing conflict, communication. Yeah, that kind of fits with the psychology, communication stuff I like. And I did the program and I did some family mediation as a part of that program and a little bit on the side um, after the program. And essentially I was helping couples have more peaceful divorces. And very quickly I got disillusioned with that because again, it's, if, if you're going to get a divorce, then you want it to be as peaceful and amicable as possible. And you want to help people work through that process as, as well as you can, especially when they're co-parents and that relationship's going to continue for the, you know, life of those kids. Um, what I found in my limited experience there was a lot of times you have these two people, sometimes in the same room, sometimes in different rooms, and often one of them still wanted that relationship to work. And the more you'd hear those stories and you'd see that, and I was like, man, I wonder if couples got some of this stuff earlier, because now they're hiring me to help them get a divorce. And it's not my job to jump in and provide like any coaching or education at this point. It's just a transactional, like help us come to an agreement. And that's my role. Um, but I, I just started to wonder, like, man, I, I wonder if more people could avoid sitting at this table and having these discussions if they got some tools earlier in the process and they managed expectations differently from the beginning or they learned to communicate more effectively from the beginning. Um, so that kind of just got all the seeds planted and everything kind of swirling around in my head so that then when we went through the engaged process and then I discovered that nonprofit and then I discovered the field of relationship education, it all seemed to kind of start taking me that way. But yeah, I didn't know dispute resolution existed until I was in it. And I didn't know relationship education existed until I was in it either. It was just kind of finding your way to the next right thing, I guess, and what's adjacent to it, what's kind of close to it and start experimenting a little bit. So what's the difference between an educational approach and versus a therapeutic process? And how would someone know which type of assistance they need? So my, my definition or, or my approach may be different from somebody else's. When I work with couples, I have disclaimers on everything that make very clear, I am, I am a coach, this is educational, this is not therapeutic. So if couples have anything related to infidelity, abuse, addiction, um, mental health concerns, like anything of anxiety, depression, any specific mental health concerns, those would all be in a therapist territory as far as a uh, subject matter, in my opinion. And I think most people would probably agree with that. Um, there are therapists who do premarital education. So there's going to be overlap on, oh, you use prepare and rich and we use prepare and rich and you walk couples through. And so there's overlap where there are some therapists who do psychoeducation too, and it's not all interventions and therapy for, for that kind of stuff. Where I draw the line for my work, and it's hard because you walk thin lines sometimes where you're in an educational setting and the people want to take it into a therapeutic place and you have to be very clear in your role and redirecting that and, and referring out as you can. But I, I consider myself kind of like a teacher with a lesson plan. Yeah. So from an educational standpoint, 
you're you're coming. I've got a curriculum we're going to use. I'm going to help facilitate conversations. I'm very active. I set the agenda on, hey, these are your goals. I'm going to decide what we're going to cover. I'm going to allot the time. And you're active participants in that process. But ultimately, as the educator, I'm the one who's going to say, hey, if your goal is to only come for four sessions and you think finance and this and that are very important, then I'm going to create our roadmap for that. Um, with therapy, I think it's a lot more led by the client on these are the types of things and they do more of the talking and the therapist poses good reflective questions and things like that. But I think the thrust of it remains typically in the client's ballpark to, to direct the therapy the way that they want it to go. Um, from education, I just try to create the structure, kind of like in mediation, you create the structure and then people are active participants in that. Does that make sense? So what topics do you specialize in? So given my background, I love the communication and conflict resolution piece with couples. Um, but really the premarital stage, like I said, that's about 90% of the couples I work with are just that transition to marriage, covering just a wealth of premarital marriage prep topics. So we may cover usually conflict resolution and communication is at least one or two of the sessions. And that's the other difference is I have a prescribed number of sessions. This isn't like I meet with you week to week for months or years. This is like, hi, you're coming for an eight hour class or hi, you're coming for eight hours of private sessions. And this is what we're covering. Um, so the roadmap's already there. It's not come back and come back. And it's just not that kind of thing. So from the beginning, it's very much like when you sign up for a class and you go take your class and then you're done with class. Um, what was your question before that? I'm losing my train of thought. Thank you. So what do you specialize in? Oh. Is there like a menu or two or three okay. that, are in, that are in your niche? Yeah. So, so the marriage prep is the big part of it. Currently, I'm only offering that in a virtual coaching format, just given everything that's going on. I did my last workshop in February and I don't probably see going back to the workshop format in person in the foreseeable future. Um, so kind of taking my private sessions, I had always done face-to-face -face with couples and just offering that virtually for seriously dating, engaged, and newly married couples to walk them through a curriculum like Prepare and Rich or Symbus or something like that. I'm trained in a whole slew of them, um, which is good because it gives me just a lot of different ways to kind of adapt depending on what people's needs are. I like this best from this curriculum and this best from that one. And you kind of get to create your own um, best of the best in my eyes, I guess, of um, what will help the people the most. And if this isn't enough in this curriculum, I got some other you know, things in my back pocket I can pull out from, from Gottman or from prep. Um, so, so typically the workshops I've been teaching Gottman seven principles for making marriage work. And then typically in the private sessions, I've been using prepare and rich because that provides a pretty robust couple inventory that before I even meet them would tell me a lot about their relationship areas of alignment areas uh, that were more challenging and kind of stuff we needed to dig into um, and that helped me then kind of craft our time of where we needed to really focus based on their self-reports from each of them on how aligned they were, they weren't on 
anything from spirituality to finance to affection to in-laws, the whole gamut of those topics. So, wow, yeah, I've never heard of of that one before. Yeah, it's a big one. I only use research-based curriculum, so uh, so Dr. Olson's got that one, and then. Yeah, prep I got trained in um, a few years ago and I actually do a little contract work for them too. And I'm trying to find a good way to work some of the prep stuff in either to my return checkups that I do with couples or kind of find a good way to work their stuff in. Um, and Symbus I trained in last year and uh, that one's a lot more like guided discussion, not as many exercises. So it's just kind of, again, you can kind of pick and choose some of the best stuff from each of them. and. Uh, kind of see for each couple, one one thing may be a better fit than another. So I like options. <laughs> nice, nice. You know, you just mentioned the returning. So what is that like? So they go through your pre, premarital sessions and then what, six, six months into the marriage, they come back? Uh, what, what is that like? Yeah, so I've offered, we just call them returner checkups, but it's essentially some couples come back around their anniversary every year, and some couples may just come once or come every few years, and it's just kind of a standing offer that you can have a one-hour or two-hour session, and if there's something coming up, like, oh, we're trying to decide, are we ready to have a baby, and can we, like, talk through that with you? I've done a few sessions on that where they come back, having worked together a few years prior, and we kind of work through expectations about parenthood and how life will change with the baby and just talk about where they are on that, help them kind of work through whatever, have some guided discussions and talk through the nuts and bolts of just sometimes it's planning. They need help just planning. What are, how would our life change or what, what are the areas we're not thinking of, of with childcare or finances or, but what about our career? What about this? What about that? Um, sometimes it just becomes like a big knot for people and it helps to just bring that big knot somewhere and say like, we're kind of just making the knot bigger and tying it tighter. And can you help us unravel this a little bit and kind of point us in the right direction or give us some tools. And um, I use the analogy a lot of a car and it's kind of like, I'm the one you go to for like a tune up or an oil change and then come in, get you back on the road an hour or two later. Um, and hopefully things are running well and I don't see you again for a while. And a therapist, it would be more like, hey, if your car is on fire, the wheels are falling off or the, you know, something like that. Hey, you need to skip me. You don't need an oil change. You need more of an intervention. You need somebody to really get under the hood, figure out where the big mechanical issues are, where the source of all this is um, versus couples just having a very specific thing like, hey, we're finally ready to join finances. You know, it's been six months or it's been a year. We've been dragging our feet, but we want to merge our accounts. And we just are kind of like struggling with it and trying to work through it. And can you, you know, help us come up with a plan or help us work through our, our blocks about it or whatever. And so again, it's, it's a lot of it is facilitated discussions of just asking questions, letting them talk to each other coaching them if they start to slide into some negative communication patterns while they're doing it. And some of it's actual exercises of here's a budget sheet or here's a sheet where you can rank priorities of your finances or are you more of a spender or a saver? Or what does money represent to each of you? And just helping them kind of view money in a different way of by doing kind of different exercises and assessments. 
Wow, wow. Yeah, I'm going to have a uh, certified financial planner on, on coming up on the show, and it's going to focus on relationships and money. Oh, cool. Good. And I, you know, definitely questions. I was like, well, how do you merge? uh the, the the finances it's, it's interesting when you know some people do all kinds of stuff they have separate accounts to do all this stuff mm-hmm. and i'm like hmm, i don't know the wife and i just have one account mm-hmm. and then we have one you know the savings is still one account and you just do mm-hmm. what you do mm-hmm. do with it you know so um it's interesting because money is 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 different thing you know mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're married it causes a lot of stress if you're not on top of your game. Well, it's a sticky it's a sticky topic, and part of it now with couples trending to getting married older is that we've had more and more time to get into our careers, to start establishing our own retirement, saving our own money, making our own money, and some couples in sessions will kind of say, "Well, I don't want to feel like they're you know." telling me big brother looking in my account why did you spend this much at chick-fil-a or why did you go buy you know get your nails done or why 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 i've never had to answer to anybody before you know it's a it's kind of a mental shift it's and that's kind of what people miss about marriage is when couples say oh we've been living together a couple years already well what's different we're going to come back to the same house we're still going to be together maybe we've already merged our money Um, But a lot of it is the mental game and the mental shift, Um, where even if physically nothing in your environment changes, there is a mental investment that happens because marriage is one of the most significant commitment signals to people. You're not just telling each other now we're boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, Scott Stanley and his team with PrEP, I mean, they study cohabitation extensively, and a lot of that is now, like you used to be able to say we live together and that meant something to people like, oh, we're, we're practically engaged or we're on the marriage track or, you know, you're only doing that when you're really serious. Now in this, you know, more of a culture of ambiguity now when people say they're living together, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It might just mean, yeah, I've lived with this person and then in three months we may not live together and then I may live with somebody else. and. It's about our lease is up and we need somewhere to go or it's cheaper to have a roommate and I'm here all the time anyway. And it's not about a decision to be committed to this person and to move your life together in that direction. Um, So for a lot of people, merging finances is another one of those symbols, kind of like the wedding day of we're merging our lives as we're merging our resources, our income, our whatever. And some couples insist on keeping it separate and that works really well for them. That's otherwise an area of just tremendous, just contention. And ultimately, if it works for both of you, it works for both of you. But a lot of the research seems to kind of point at this idea that it's another commitment signal. It's another way of kind of showing that you're all in instead of I'm going to keep mine over here just in case and you're going to keep yours over there just in case and we both have this exit strategy um some people do it just because they have their own like they work from home manage their own business where they want it separate and you know so that's kind of a different thing but um it gets complicated there's not a one-size-fits-all approach some people are doing prenups and they have family 
inheritance and stuff that was not an issue for me, but it's an issue for some people of having these, you know, you're, you've come into all this money and your family wants you to have a prenup. And so there are always some, some unique angles around money. So it's, it's cool that there are some therapists who really do focus on that relationship between money and the couple. And it's always below the surface. Money is very rarely about money. It's about security. It's about freedom. It's about all these other buttons it pushes for people. So when your couples enroll uh, in your coaching program, how do you assist them in bringing out the best within themselves and within their relationship? I mean, a lot of the couples who come to me are doing a lot really well already. And sometimes they just need to be validated that they're doing a good job. Um, as you kind of said earlier, we're, we're the product of what we grew up with too. And that sets a lot of the stage for what we expect in relationships and how we act in relationships. So my parents celebrated 38 years of marriage yesterday. I had a really awesome example of what marriage looks like during the highs, during the lows, when they drive each other crazy, when they're deeply committed and sacrificing. And I saw all that. So when I learned all this stuff from a textbook, it made sense because I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. I know what that looks like. I know that's possible. For other people, they, they read through this textbook and they're like, yeah, I've never seen a relationship like that. That sounds all rainbows and butterflies. Yeah, there's no way. And we yell and we scream and we walk out on each other. And you know, there's all this uncertainty all the time and nobody's fully committed or, or there's just feelings that we're not safe or not secure. So it just really, a lot of that shapes then these couples coming in and wanting to get married of how, how, how well they think they're going to do. So some of it is just reminding them, Hey, if you didn't grow up with a great example, that doesn't have to be your life. That doesn't have to be your trajectory. That's not your story. That's somebody else's story. And that's certainly informed stuff. It did not give you a leg up here. Certainly you're going to have to unlearn some of that. We're going to have to give you some new tools and some new resources and kind of a lot of it is just identifying. Sometimes we just have these one or two areas where it's like, oh yeah, I do tend to be really critical or I do tend to be really defensive. Okay, so great. So we've got a dynamic and let's talk about why we do what we do and let's talk about what we do instead. And let's practice that a little bit. And then you show them another way. And that idea of if you know better, you do better. I really have to believe that. I think all teachers have to believe that, that if you teach somebody a better way, we can all be ignorant on certain topics and just, I didn't know and I messed up. But once you know that there's a better way to have a healthier relationship and a stronger marriage, be a better parent, whatever it is, um, I really wanna believe with that awareness that a lot of people do something with it. Um, so a big part of the class is just letting people know that they're doing, they've got stuff in them that's good already, that they got instincts that are good already. And then identifying the areas that aren't, but then giving them a replacement of, hey, that doesn't work, but try this. Or she's not responding to really well to that. You notice that? Now try saying it to her this way. Oh, oh wow, that's a night and day difference. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. You put her on the defensive that way. You, you frame the sentence this way. You, you get the same point across. Now she's smiling instead of crying. It's a lot of it is about the framing and just teaching people uh, to kind of be gentle with each other, to be kinder to each other. Um, so 
yeah, I think we got a lot in us that's that's good, and we've all got our shortcomings, and some of us see them more readily than others, and know what those blind spots are, and some people don't, and uh, and just either need the coaching or help or the awareness. So, I hear you. I hear you. I have been married seventeen years. Wow, good for you. Yeah. Good for yeah. You. Well, thank you. Alhamdulillah. It's interesting, you know, I, I think for us, and I, well, it should be the case for every, anyone, you know, you are never, you are not going to, you're not going to be the same person from day one. Mm-hmm. Neither, neither are they. And so you mm-hmm. can't have this expectation of when I married you, you, you were like this. Mm-hmm. Like the longer you stay together as human beings, we, we should grow, we should develop and new passions mm-hmm. come up or we see the world differently and to sort of expect that person to be the same or to be this mm-hmm. way or to act this way, respond this way, mm-hmm. that, that that's not going to be healthy because you're going to find yourself in a lot of situations later on where you're like, who is this person? Right. Uh, when you should have just sort of experienced like the newness of who this individual is as Mm -hmm. time goes on. And that's, that's a big place where relationship maintenance comes in is a lot of couples maybe do the marriage prep and then they don't ever do anything again. And you feel like, yeah, we really dialed it in. We did those sessions or we asked all those questions. We asked a thousand questions you need to ask before you get married. And we did it and we heard all the answers and we, my big red flag is when somebody says, I know everything there is to know about my partner. And I'm like, okay, um, here's the thing. It's a moving target, right? Because we are growing. We're changing all the time. Um, who you are at 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 should change. It should evolve. There should be some development, even if you have some of the same hobbies or interests, that's great. Um, but who you are as a person, um, can change and different priorities shift and values. Maybe as you become parents or you get older, different priorities in your life start to come up that maybe weren't there when you met when you were 15 or 25. Um, So yeah, it's to be expected that you're going to change. And I think the only mistake we make is, is to take our thumb off of that and, and kind of say, Oh, learned it once. That's all I need. A big part of that relationship maintenance is ask the question again. So uh, like Gottman has a Cardex app. It's a free app where you can ask all these questions. If you just need conversation starters on, you know, we're sitting on a road trip, we're sitting at dinner. We don't know what to talk about besides our kids and our laundry and our to-do list or our work. Um, So pull out something like that and it'll give you questions about goals, about dreams, about where would you love to go on a vacation or what are your short-term goals or if you won the lottery, what would, you know, whatever it is, but it gives you some stuff that, Oh, I thought your best friend was this person. I didn't realize that it changed. Or I thought this was your favorite kind of music or your favorite kind of food. I just kept assuming that I didn't realize that it changed. Um, So Gottman, Dr. John Gottman calls those things our love maps, these little questions we answer, things we pick up, things we observe about each other over the years that kind of create this map of our partner. 
And we build it once in the beginning when we have all those really late night talks and we ask every question and I want to get to know you. I want to spend every minute of every day with you. And we fill it in fast. But then a lot of people just frame the map and put it on the wall and don't realize it's kind of like GPS where, okay, if you were using a map from 20 years ago, you wouldn't be able to get anywhere now. The roads are changed. The, the buildings are moved. Like all that stuff is kind of a moving target where you've got to go in and make the updates. You've got to go in and double check. Is that still there? Is that still right? Oh, that's changed and make those modifications. It's kind of a living document. It's not a one and done kind of thing. So. That's all right. So I want to throw this out there to you with the work that you've done, the research you've done, as you look back and reflect on that, or even in, you know, looking at your, uh, your own marriage, uh, if you will, what is the greatest lesson or lessons you've learned about romantic relationships? So I, I probably learned this watching my parents and I met my husband on match.com and I remember putting it in my match.com profile, something to the effect of, I want somebody who is in this as much as I'm in this, like I want somebody who's equally committed, somebody who is as willing to invest and work at this as I am. Um, because there are going to be periods where it's harder for one of you or the other, and you got to kind of shoulder some extra load for a while and work through stuff. And somebody, somebody dies or loses a job or gets sick or all these things that we all have to deal with over the course of a lifetime together, we got to shift that weight. And couples who already start out in what Dr. Stanley called these asymmetrically committed relationships. So one person's way committed and the other person's like, kind of just waiting for other options, waiting to see if something else comes along. I mean, those are destined to fail because then all of a sudden this highly committed person in the relationship, their mother dies or they go through you know, a cancer diagnosis. Well, this person is not very committed anyway on a good day. So where are they gonna be as soon as stuff hits the fan. Um, so kind of making sure, especially for people who are dating and who are kind of looking to pick a partner, really looking for somebody who's willing to put the work in and who's willing to stick even when it's hard. And I remember with my husband, I think we'd only been dating like two or three months and I ended up getting bunion surgery on both of my feet. And I had to be in like these stupid little shoes with like I don't even know. It was ridiculous. And I couldn't walk anywhere. We couldn't go on dates. He had to come visit me at my parents' house. And I remember thinking like, he doesn't have to do this. Like we've only been dating like two months, like most, probably a lot of guys wouldn't and just say, oh, you know, it's not fun right now. I don't want to go to her parents' house. I can't go out on dates. Like he had no reason at that point. He wasn't really that invested to have to stay and he did and I think that kind of showed me and my family like something about him and what that relationship was what that trajectory was and that's why I encourage couples to have kind of an arc of time together before you commit to marriage and it's not a, a firm amount of time but you want to go through some stuff together and if you say well we met and we got married in one week I'm sure there are anecdotal people who say oh we're still married 40 years later but I think generally there's something to be said for some time. It doesn't mean more time is better and you have to wait 30 years before you get married if you love each other, but, but give some time to, to travel together, to have stressful experiences together, 
to see when you are sick, when you're angry and you're all these different elements um, to kind of see as much of a complete picture as you can of how this person ticks and what they're like. Um, so, so yeah, so I think getting someone who's equally invested, who's willing to dig in, that's a really big tip. I want to normalize for people that conflict is a normal and sometimes necessary part of relationships. Mm. And I want to destigmatize conflict as people hear the word conflict and think destructive. And you turn on the news or you get on Twitter and you hear the word conflict and you just assume it's like political people yelling, people fighting, people, you know, hating each other over some particular issue. Conflict can be a very transformative thing. It can be a catalyst for change and growth when we use it well. So it's a, it's a tool. It's a tool we can use very badly and hurt each other, or it's a tool that we can use to actually grow and go beyond this, this place we were before and get better than we were before. Um, so conflict gets a bad rap and I, I wanna correct that any chance that I get that it's, it's a thing just like communication. We can talk to each other in really mean hostile words and we can be real kind and loving it's a tool. It's just up to us to kind of engage in it, learn some tools to do it more constructively. And then probably the last tip, um, I would go back to what I said earlier about maintenance and maintenance really matters because um, you can't freeze this moment in time of our relationship is perfect now. This is our best day. This is our wedding or our engagement or whatever, our new baby. You can't freeze those moments just like oh it's a great hair day and I want to freeze it it's like you can't my house is perfectly clean I'm going to freeze it you can't all those things take that ongoing work and uh and that maintenance because you can't just build a house and say wow look at this great house and then you you never cut the grass you never you know vacuum you never empty the trash like pretty quickly that beautiful home is is a wreck if we don't take care of it um, so I wish, you know, we could all just kind of come to view our relationships as a thing like that, that has to be nurtured and cared for. And there's no shame in it. If that means go to therapy, get things on track, work through some issues, be happy together again. There's no shame in that. Be happy together. Get the help if you need the help. Take a class, read a book together, do some coaching, whatever it is um, that'll help you take things even from good to great if you're on a good path. But you're like, oh, is there more than this? Can we can we take it up a notch? Level up, like you said. Can we level this up? Can we can we take it to a new place? Make it even better. And that's a lot of the couples I see are couples who are really like, we want to keep growing. We want to keep making this better. Um, and I commend that. I mean, and that stuff motivates me in my marriage too. Of just every time I teach it, it makes me more aware to then go home to my family after and be like, okay, you know, here are some things I probably need to focus on too, or some areas I've kind of let that slip out of my, off my radar. Let me hone back in on this. Let me focus. Let me ask some good questions of my husband. Let me update my love maps. Let me, you know, do all the things I teach other people to do. It's a good reminder for me every time I teach it. So. That's all right. So before we go, what is your advice for that educator who at this point is thinking they are ready to make a greater impact outside of the classroom they're in? Much like you were working in a nonprofit and you felt as though there was something else, something bigger for me to do. In 
looking at the work that you're doing and, uh, you know, we know of the, of this field called uh, family life education. And there are, I think NC, uh, uh, NCFR says there's like uh, 10 different areas you can uh, specialize in. Uh, why would you, I guess, encourage someone to pursue that field, pursue possibly getting a graduate degree uh, in family studies or child and family uh, consumer sciences, uh, family dynamics. There's just so many names to these degrees in yeah, the field. Yeah. Um, why should they possibly consider pursuing those avenues as a way for them to make that broader impact that they are seeking to make? So I, I think what I caution people now, having gone through a few degrees here, is, you know, the path can change. So I, part of getting my PhD was also, oh, I can be an adjunct, you know, while I'm home with our kids, it'll be another thing. And then through being a TA and teaching classes and kind of different experiences behind the curtain on some of that. And I just said, you know, I love to teach, but I don't know if I love to teach in this context. And that reinforced my desire to do my own thing, to teach my workshops, to uh, not have uh, some of these other things tied to it. So I, I think you need to really know what you're passionate about. And if it is children and families, then, then that's great. And you're kind of looking in the right direction. I think a CFLE credential can add credibility to what you're doing. So really, I sat for that test you were talking about. I had to. But um but yeah, I mean, you you can get it through coursework sometimes if you're in a program that has an approved CFLE kind of framework, you may not have to sit for this test, um, or you can get it through work experience, a variety of other things, but that credential can give some credibility if you're in this field. Um, I would just caution people, a lot of people, I was a good student, I liked school, I, I liked being in the classroom. So for me to just go do a PhD, it wasn't like, Oh, that's, it was just like fun for me, sort of. That was more a challenge juggling having a baby and the logistics of getting it done. And I got really sick during it. I had a miscarriage during, there were a lot of challenges during the process for me, but the academic work was fun for me. I enjoyed that. If you're not a person who enjoys like writing papers and going to class, then maybe you don't want to put yourself through that unless there's a really clear end game of, oh, I want to be a director of such and such. And I know that that position requires a master's or I want to be on faculty. And I know that would require a PhD. Um, I would have a clear end game because otherwise a lot of people can just work up in a company or start your own company and build it up. And the experience is really what people want to see. Um, so it kind of depends what you want to do. Obviously, if you want to be a counselor or a therapist, you have to go and get certified as a therapist and a counselor and go do all the training hours to put that credential after your name to be legit. And um, educators, it's a it's a very fluid kind of thing. You can you can be an educator or a coach and there aren't as many governing bodies for that which is why I felt the need to kind of go above and beyond to make the credentials very clear of this is why I want you to come to me and trust that I 
and not just telling you, oh, my husband and I this and that. I wanted you to know there was substance to it, that I'm trained in a lot of these research-based programs. I've done academic study and research in this, and I have some practical experience, blah, 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 piece it all together. As an entrepreneur, as a sole business person, that was more my case for why you should come to me. Um, you, you wanted to kind of on paper have somebody feel confident that you knew what you were talking about. Um, so I think it really depends what your objectives are as to whether a CFLE or a graduate degree makes sense. I think for certain types of things, it's essential. And I think for others, I mean, we know the nonprofit world and the education world, like they're not highly lucrative on, on their own. <laughs> um, so you're kind of going into it for probably some other calling and gifting that you have. It's a people gifting, it's an educating gifting. It's not necessarily um, going to be, you know, a get rich quick thing. That's what I would tell other people who are wanting to start a side hustle or start their own business. A lot of what I did with businesses early on was trying to build them while I had another job. And, and then I was married and we had my husband's income so I could have some flexibility. Um, it can take years and years and years to kind of develop. And I remember in my mediation program, they said, oh, yeah, to build a uh, a mediation practice, it'll probably take you at least eight years. So just be prepared for that. And I was like, what? But you kind of see in practice, all the barriers, all the challenges, all the legal stuff to set up. And then you, you tackle the advertising, you tackle, you know, getting good reviews and referrals and building that base up and uh, what types of offerings you got to develop. So it's, it's a lot of work. Um, some people may have those overnight. I just, could quit my job and it worked. But I think for more people with more of this stuff, it's it's a slow build and it's gotta be something that you're passionate enough to wanna do at night and early in the morning and fit it in where you can fit it in until it justifies then kind of being able to do it as your, as your main thing. And that's kind of where it pivoted with mine is uh, when I could kind of, when we had two kids, all of a sudden it, the workshops became very hard to leave the house for 10 hours on the weekends and to see couples in the evenings. When we have little kids to put to bed, we've got little kids around. My husband's worked a full work week too. Of how do we make this work at this stage of our lives? And um, if you have a minute to indulge me in the story, my, uh, my husband years ago when I was in the PhD program and we had just had our daughter, he had said something about it would be cool to make candles one day. Like, I don't know, just to learn how. So me being me like takes this idea of like, oh, this is a dream he has. And I'm like buying the stuff and da 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 And then flash forward six months and we have like a booth in a storefront and we're selling these things and we have an Etsy shop and we have like a fully developed concept and products and, and all this stuff. And he's like, whoa, but I have a full-time job and like, I can't, you know, it became a lot to juggle with kids, full-time job. I was in school. Um, so we kind of did that for about a year and then kind of put the kibosh on it. But then life kind of transpires. I'm still doing my stuff with couples. We're still, I'm finishing up school. We have another baby. And then we start to see the workshop thing isn't, isn't going to be a great fit for the stage of life. And I said, you know, honey, I really want 
like a daytime job. I want a job I can do when the kids are in school and when you're working. I don't always want to be the off shift of like, I got to go work nights and weekends and be on with the kids all day. Or when they're in school, I'm going to be home alone. And then I got to go work when everybody else is home. So we kind of then came up with this fusion of all the past little businesses I've tried and kind of failed at of let's take those candles. We know how to make candles. We know how to do this, all the branding, the pouring, all the stuff. We, we kind of did that last time, but I'm going to make it my own. I'm going to make them all relationship inspired. I'm going to tie everything in the shop to relationship research and include relationship tips and resources. And I spent months writing these research cards. You can see them behind me of to go with every item in the shop. And I said, I'm going to pick the scents I want this time. I'm going to make them look the way I want this time. I'm going to own this as my baby this time. But it was a culmination of a thing that we tried and the timing wasn't great. And then a thing I was already doing that kind of had to change. And then we kind of birthed this new thing earlier this year with the Grounded and Good shop where we're selling these relationship inspired products. And I kind of view it as a fun outlet that's creative, but I can do it during the day as the kids get older. And it's a way to broadly share relationship education on a scope I never could before. You could see, you know, six couples in a class or 10 couples in a class. Well, now I can, hundreds and thousands of people can get the stuff in their hands through these products and then get pointed to the website, pointed to the social media. And it's been kind of a cool way to fuse some of these different things. So. I just wanted to throw that in there. So <laughs> you never know what stuff you're doing or that you're interested in that, you know, maybe some of it comes together in an unlikely way too. That's all right. Thanks for sharing. So uh, Dr. Kara, thanks for coming on. Sure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode will be on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify. I need you to subscribe and follow share uh the stars are great but leave your comments because i'm trying to be found and i'm trying to get oprah on the show <laughs> i am i am if, if when it happens i'm quitting my day job uh because right. i'm going to be all in full-time podcast i'm gonna tell you i got over y'all let's do this uh so <laughs> Uh, again, I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Kara Shea, for coming on and dropping so many gems. And I'd like to thank you again for checking out another episode of the Dr. Wheel Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you, EDU. Peace. <laughs>